0: All right. We are in the book of Mark. If you're joining us for the named first time, me. name you might have been named after him. Okay, probably more likely that way. It probably is more likely. Um, but uh, Mark wrote a gospel, uh, literally meaning good news about the life of Jesus Christ. And so we've been studying that verse by verse, uh, going through the entire book. And uh, we come to an interesting passage today. Well, hopefully all of them are interesting. Um, But uh, we're talking about what's on the inside that counts, internal versus external when it comes to spirituality. It's a, a terribly important concept and uh, Jesus handles this conflict that he ends up having um, with some of the religious leaders of the day. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23 today. We'll have the words on the screen. If you prefer to follow along in a Bible uh, physically in front of you, then we have some Bibles in at the back table as well that you can certainly grab. And if you don't Make own a Bible... Own. Take it home. Yeah. We would yeah. love for you to have it yeah, as this a gift is, from us. I
1: think we can learn a lot today from this passage. So we're going to just dive right in and start reading Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled that is unwashed now let's pause there real now, quick gross that, that could be my house almost any night yeah we have that rule right in our, our house <laughs> you need to wash your hands right these hands are not washed if you want to have dinner go in the bathroom wash your hands right well may not be quite what the situation is so let's let's talk about
0: the situation Jesus is still outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the big city, the center of uh, the religious community. That was where the temple was. Uh, That was was the important part, right? Just like Olympia is the important part of Washington. That was Jerusalem. (laughs) like if Olympia and Seattle were combined. And all the
1: important people hang out there. You had the Pharisees. You had the scribes. And and those were the people that were starting to hear about Jesus in the outlying areas. They had trouble with a lot of the things he was saying. We've talked about that. Jesus was going around teaching and preaching and healing. uh, And they had problems with that. And we're going to see those... Characters in this story again today in the in the section that we 're in right now, so they 're kind of checking jesus out they 're hoping to trip him up they 're hoping to catch him in some sort of uh, what they would call sin or or breaking the law somehow because they didn 't like all the attention that Jesus was gathering to himself
0: yeah it 's a little hard to understand because he was doing incredible things um, but uh I think one of the issues was jealousy. But they do find some issues with his disciples. They didn't right? wash if, their hands. They didn't wash their hands. Um, but they, uh, they've done this a couple of different times where they've seen Jesus' disciples doing something that was um, not in line with what they expected and, uh, and tried to catch Jesus through guilt by association with his disciples. And so this disagreement comes up between Jesus and the uh, religious leaders about unwashed hands. But that isn't really the issue. The issue is much bigger than that. There's a huge area of disagreement between Jesus and these religious leaders. And so they, um, but they, they bring up this the smaller issue in the context of uh, cleanness or defilement, right? And as we look ceremonial at, sense
1: at this story as it plays out through the rest of the, the verses that we look at today, we'll see kind of that bigger idea, and, and that's what we were hoping to uh, to catch and to look at today. That it's not so much what you're doing on the outside as what's going on on the inside that is important, right? And so uncleanliness, defilement, all those things are going to be talked about here uh, and in these next few verses in regards to washing hands and. Food and all those kind of things like that, but really, we got to remember that big picture as we move forward. John Mark, our author, is writing to a Roman, remember, a Gentile audience. We have four gospels, all written for specific purposes. Mark was writing to this Roman or Gentile audience, so he's which is lucky for us because he gets to explain a few things here to us who are not jews right i mean we don't understand everything so this is great so he's going to give the readers and and us today uh this this uh, explanation of what the issue really is as we move forward
0: yeah so here's here's what he says for the pharisees and all the jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly 30 seconds
1: under warm water soap up to the elbow
0: <laughs> They wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders,
1: but eat with defiled hands? The issue of ceremonial cleanliness, what we're looking at here, it, it's not simply about hygiene. The, the that, Pharisees That is a handy benefit. It is, but the Pharisees weren't worried that the disciples just had dirty hands and might get sick from the food that they're eating. It, it, was, it was bigger than that, right? This was something that set the Jews apart from the Gentile world, right? It, it prevented defilement from touching anything ungodly. So, we're not just talking about food, right? There were certain foods that the Jews avoided, but it was also certain things. It was certain people, non Jews, right? This was about setting them apart. From everyone else. Uh, According to the Old Testament law, only the priests were required to wash before entering the tabernacle. We learn that in Exodus. We see it again in Leviticus, right? Otherwise, the washing of hands, the the point of contention here, was prescribed only if one had touched a bodily discharge as gross as that is as we look through leviticus we look through the old testament there were certain laws that god laid down about washing your hands at certain times and and the pharisees were trying to take that and push it they were trying to expound on it they were trying to say this is what god meant or or this is what we're going to do so that we don't get too close to what God has commanded us. Uh, the original intention was the idea of, I want to be so far away from that sin, we're going to make it uh, even h- more difficult on ourselves, but so that we won't sin. The problem is, when you start holding people to that standard that you've created, right? you're away from God's original intention, and that's what was going on here. Yeah,
0: we've talked about that uh, before in the past, um, a number of weeks ago, talking about fences um, that we build around. Um, God's law. So did the Pharisees have a leg to stand on? Like, did they did they have a basis for
1: um, for looking at these laws and expanding them, etc.? It depends on who you're looking at. The Old Testament law or the oral traditions?
0: Right. So if you look at the Old Testament law, like Mark was explaining, there wasn't required uh, for the Jews to to do these certain things. Now, if you're looking at the oral traditions of Judaism, um. Then, this was one of the many, many um, additions, um, again, first put into practice to protect people, yes. but then becoming more important than God's law and his heart um, in giving those laws. So, um, by, by Jesus' time, it seems like those laws, the oral tradition, was pretty entrenched and, um, and honestly even more important than keeping God's law. So, um, God had these had these different rules. God had these policies. That was what uh, he decreed. But it wasn't always very specific. Right. It said, like, honor the Sabbath. Right. So... Through oral important tradition, to God. right? Through oral tradition, you would come up with, you know, like 137 ways to
1: avoid dishonoring it, right? right? So, thank
0: you. This was before short attention spans.
1: Exactly, 137. But, but God had only commanded them, right, to remember the Sabbath, right. to rest. All the important things that we've discussed before about having a day of rest and the Sabbath, and yet it was expanded onto this place where people couldn't keep it. They tried their hardest and they couldn't, and that wasn't God's original intention. And and, and so it's kind of crazy. The the oral tradition the Pharisees were talking about here uh, would have made the, the, the disciples super unclean. Even in these just first few six chapters, if you look at what they've been doing, the oral tradition of cleanliness, it would have made these guys super unclean. They were hanging out with tax collectors Right? That was a big no no. They were also hanging out with prostitutes. Right? Jesus was bringing the good news of the kingdom of God to everyone, and those two people were no no. So, boom, guilty of that. They had contact with non Jews. Which was a no no. Check. They had contact with dead bodies. You're not supposed to touch a dead body, right? Guilty. Although, the, the bodies that we've seen in this story haven't stayed dead because Jesus' power came in, right? And he raised them from the dead. But again, the disciples weren't afraid of doing something that the oral tradition would have warned them against. Contact with lepers,
0: not leopards. That would, not leopards with the spots. That would also be very dangerous. Right, yeah, you could um, lose your hands. But in this case, contact with lepers, Jesus was healing lepers. He touched lepers, people who hadn't experienced human touch in probably a really long time. We talked about that um, last week in, in Kids'
1: Yeah, and in regards to uh, the the bodily discharges, remember the story we talked about the, the, the lady who had been menstruating for 12 years. She'd been bleeding for 12 years and she wanted to touch the hem of Jesus' garment because she believed, she had faith that she could be healed and she was. And Jesus felt the power go out. But again, they weren't afraid of being there on the ground, front line, touching the people and being with the people who were hurting the most. And so the Pharisees see this and they are offended for God. You are breaking the law. You are sinning. But these laws
0: kept getting uh, more in number. And in retrospect, right, it's it's easy to look back and see how off some of these laws are. But um, but not only with with. Uh, being in contact with Gentiles, but even there was some classism, it seems, in some of those laws in terms of uh, a common Jewish person uh,
1: versus an uncommon. Yeah, (laughs) and according to the the oral tradition, that would be sinful. That would be wrong. One that kind of was, I was going to talk about the the Mishnah, there were Aramaic, this was a collection
0: of oral traditions.
1: Right. There were Aramaic, Aramaic sections of Daniel and Ezra, Old Testament uh, scriptures that were, were, you would be rendered unclean if you held them and read them because they were in a different language. And, and the oral tradition had been passed down that, you're not, that you weren't allowed to have and read out of that language. So again, God's word, the, the Pharisees had pushed to a place of uncleanliness. Right, there were things, uh, ratings of
0: how unclean you were, degrees, uh, for instance, and so some things would require more washing uh, than others, etc. So it just, it just keeps going on and, and on and on. Um, these were descriptions, again, initially to try and protect people from every possible scenario to avoid being unclean, but it really is based on fear. Um, right fear of being influenced instead of being an influencer and I think that's a huge difference where Jesus walks around he is the influence right he walks around and he doesn't get unclean by touching dead bodies and lepers he cleans them
1: he heals them and so well the pharisees I think were trying to show how much they loved God or how much they wanted to please God by being able to do all of these things right And what do we talk about in Christianity? It has nothing to do with what you've done or what you can do. Jesus loves you. Jesus went to the cross for you, not because of who you are or what you've done or what you think you can do for the kingdom, but he went to the cross because he loves you. And again, I think we just see how twisted that is. And it, it's interesting because the scribes, the Pharisees, they, they say to the disciples, you're not walking in, tra- in the, the, the tradition of the elders, right? You are eating with defiled hands. You're not walking with God. You're not pleasing God. And yet the irony in this story is they are actually walking with God. Literally. Jesus Christ incarnate right next to it, walking yeah. with them. And, and the and the Pharisees are more uh, uh, interested in their oral tradition of how they were going to protect themselves from God's law than hearing what Jesus Christ was speaking even to them. He was calling to all of them. And we know that because we do see a few Pharisees respond to the good news of the kingdom come. And so we know that that Jesus' words were going to them. It's just they weren't all listening.
0: Well, Jesus now addresses the uh, heart of the matter, the heart of of what the Pharisees was. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And I imagine when the Pharisees heard this, they would be shocked and indignant that to have this scripture applied to them, when Matthew recounts uh, this story in another gospel, we get a peek into their reaction, and they're definitely offended because that scripture wasn't written about them. That scripture was be written about, about them. Yeah, the yeah. other people. Yeah, long ago, the people who were actually hypocrites, the people who actually, you know, abandoned God. No, we we the Pharisees are trying to be holy and trying to get everybody else to come along with us, and we're doing pretty well at it. Thank you very much, right? Can you imagine what a mess it would be if we weren't here? Like that, I mean, that's what they would be thinking, right? Um, But Jesus looks at them, and he looks at their heart because he can see the heart behind all of the things that they're doing, and it's hypocritical.
1: Yeah, the word hypocrite uh, is a term from the theater. It refers to playing a part on stage, especially in in Greek theater. So when the the Pharisees or the scribes would hear that, you hypocrite, they would think of of actors who were uh, wearing these masks. To pro- portray a certain character that they wanted to on stage, right? And so, hypocrite. Now we think of somebody who says one thing and does another, and th- and that's a good definition for it. But in their minds, they would have thought of these actors and actresses on stage pretending to be something else, and so they were offended because Jesus called them hypocrites. Yeah, they worshipped their own uh, their own laws rather
0: than worshiping. Uh, God Himself, and it ended up being idolatry, and so their worship really wasn't even worship. Uh, certainly, wasn't worship of of God. I guess is what I mean, uh, because they didn't really know Him. I'm starting to have a tough time
1: to seeing the screen here with the sun. coming <laughs> Apparently, in, <my> <laughs> I need
0: to clean my screen a little more. Anybody often. have a
1: duster? <laughs> can't see anything
0: here so <laughs> it's like did you ever have those those uh like highlight books when you're growing up yeah. and you can reveal like the we the, need it
1: revealed the, today because yep. i can't see anything here's this line or we're gonna have to turn the computer and move yeah, that there we go. No, the result oh, there we go the result that of legalism help? there we go um the result of of
0: this legalism um was causing them to leave the commandments of god um and it seems like legalism has that effect, or maybe that is the definition of legalism, holding on to holding on to something else um, as opposed to worshiping yeah, and when one some, true God.
1: I, we were talking this week, when someone calls something a sin, I always ask myself, does that line up with Scripture? I want to go back to what Scripture has to say about something specifically, right? Because so often it, it, it simply... Uh, it goes back to the traditions of Western Christianity. What have we said? And and again, I think that can get dangerously close to the Pharisees and to the scribes because we have God's word and that needs to be the final word on, on whether something is right or whether something is wrong. And I don't want to be guilty of adding, you know, to the list of sins that God's word already has in there.
0: Right, I have enough trouble keeping the ones that I can read in exactly. scripture I don't need more uh, but Jesus gives a, a very specific example of one way that they were making the traditions of men into doctrine and elevating the traditions of men over the commandment of God and it has to do with an
1: interesting concept called uh, Corbin. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. So Jesus keeps going at it, right? The Pharisees are like, whoa, wait a second, you're offending us here. And Jesus just keeps going. He says, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin.'" that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. That's making void the word of God by your tradition and that you have handed down and many such things you do. So Jesus gives one example. And in the end of this, he says, you do a lot of these things, but we're going to just talk about this one thing, that they were actually abusing God's law by upholding their own unwritten oral tradition. Corbin. it means to declare to God, or as Mark puts it, it's given to God. We're a little distant from the actual practice of Corbin, right? We don't do that necessarily. But what is clear from this passage is that it was possible in that day and age, it was maybe even encouraged to dedicate things to God. What you had, what you owned, your home, your money. That actually doesn't sound like a bad idea it's not but what was happening is he's pointing out to this evil practice of abusing this dedication process let's look at this a little bit closer imagine right imagine that you in this day and age wanted to give your estate to the grace works church when you pass away Including your collection of porcelain cats. Everything. everything. Whatever you have, right? You could write the will. You could have it notarized, declaring that all your earthly goods are going to go to your church upon your death. You continue to live your life, spend your money the way you want You go on vacation when you want. But when you pass away, everything will go to the church. Sounds innocent enough or okay enough, right? I mean, that, there's no problem with that. Now, imagine... Right? The scenario as it was happening, Jesus' time here among the Jews. You have aging parents who are getting older and they're needy, right? They need assistance. But honestly, you don't even really want to help them. Okay, I heard that. It's clicking with somebody over here. You don't want to help them, right? So you declare all of your stuff Corbin. Everything I got is Corbin. Right? It's a gift to God. Everything I own Is Corbin. When I die, it goes to the church. Right? Again, sounds great, but now I have my parents. Sounds very pious. Right? I, I have my parents here that need help. They need assistance. And I have a loophole to say, no, 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 no. I've already given it to God. I don't have to help my parents. Right? And yet, the commandment, the fifth commandment, is honor your father and your mother. Take care of them as they get older and so we had people here evil people on both sides ones that gained by saying it's corbin and i can spend it however i want to and the religious leaders of that day saying yeah go ahead and do that because when you die we now get your goods and they were ignoring what god had called them to do take care of your family it's the fifth commandment right Right. Now,
0: that's one possibility of how this was abused. The other possibility is that someone had declared their stuff Corbin, right? A, a generous spiritual decision to dedicate
1: things to God. Yeah, maybe mom and dad have enough for themselves anyways.
0: But then a situation arises where now they need to take care of their mother or father or both. And they go and they say, I made this vow, but I need to change that, right? I need, I need to change that. I need to use this for the glory of God to take care of my parents. And it's quite possible that the religious leaders were like, nope, you made a vow. What? Because <laughs> what? Jesus' words are very harsh. He says you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother. And so it really seems like they're very culpable in this situation of saying, no, you can't do anything. You already... You already committed it
1: so tough luck so sorry either way and it probably was going both ways either way you're missing god's commandment take care of your violating family, right god's honor your father and honestly. mother and they're pushing it and they're they they do not care because again it benefits them This is just one example. Jesus could have given more to the the Pharisees, right? He says that at the very end. And, And many such things you do. Like, you do a lot of these things. But I'm going to give you one example. If I need to keep going, I will. But you do, you know, a lot of these kind of things where your oral tradition is actually taking away from what God has commanded us. So Jesus wants to turn this into a teaching
0: opportunity. Uh, as he often does. And so he calls, it says, uh, he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So Jesus, Jesus calls the people to him and he wants to communicate this important truth about defilement and what makes someone clean and what makes someone
1: unclean. I really like how when we were looking at this this week, we got to the place where we we realized that perhaps this is one of the most important teachings in the entirety of God's word. Right here, what we're going to be talking about. Because you're getting to the root of all issues. Exactly. What Jesus is saying is that corruption is not caused by anything external, but it's internal. Impurity in one's life is not a matter of what you eat and fill your stomach with right but instead it's a heart issue it's it's about your heart not what's in your stomach right defilement is not based on what goes in but what comes out of your heart your mind your soul who you are that's where defilement comes out and this would have been radical
0: Uh, For someone growing up in a culture where you have hundreds of commands, probably thousands really when you're talking about the the unwritten oral traditions as well, probably thousands of things to keep in the back of your mind or the forefront of your mind about what to do and what to not do. For Jesus to come in and say, it's all about the heart. For a lot of people, that, that would make them feel very insecure like, that, seemed, that seems like a real gray area, Jesus, because how, how do you know someone's heart? I can look at you, and I can, I can tell if you give your tithe. I can tell if you honor the Sabbath. I can tell if you do all these things. I, don't, I can't see your heart, right? And so for... The religious leaders this would be this was one of the issues why they had such a problem with jesus is because jesus is going to the heart of the matter and they're like i can't tell at that point i can't be in charge of
1: everybody else at that point point. and i think that's why we go after heart change you know when we're preaching we don't talk about lists of do's and don'ts that's a result of your heart being changed when you, when you truly say, I will follow Jesus Christ, the do's and the don'ts change, but it's the heart of the issue. When we were training our kids, when, we were, when they were younger and they were growing up and, and, and all the way now even into young adulthood, we didn't want them to do certain things and not do certain things just so that we looked a certain way as a family, right? We wanted, or to not get in trouble. Right. right? That's, not the, that's not the great motivation. No, we wanted them to grow as, as humans into young adults that actually respect people. Even people who don't deserve their respect. To honor people that don't necessarily even call for them to be honored because of the way that they're acting. But they're responsible And their heart, hopefully, was molded and shaped by God's word. And they've changed uh, part of who they are to become more like Jesus Christ. And and that's what Christianity is all about. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. Now, there are plenty of those in the Bible. But those should be motivated out of a desire and a love for Jesus Christ. None of you are going to get into heaven because of what you do or don't do. And, and you have to understand that. It's all about who you believe Jesus Christ is. And once you get that right, and your, your love for Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for you starts changing you and moving you, it'll motivate you to good works. That's what we need to be. We need to be a people motivated to good works because of our love for Jesus Christ, not a list of do's and don'ts.
0: And I love this, this quote we came across. Uh, the basic problem of fallen humanity is not what we do, but who we are. That's, that's the root issue. That's the root problem. And Jesus is going to be the only solution to it. So
1: picking up in verse 17 here, it says, And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. We're starting to see a pattern here, right? Jesus' disciples are hearing. They're, they're there. They're witnessing it. And then when they get him alone. We, we want to understand, but what? Yeah. So it's the same thing here, right? And, and he said to them, are you also without understanding? You know, Jesus has a sense sense of humor here. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his? heart but his stomach and is expelled thus he declared all foods clean right so jesus goes into the house the disciples go with him they ask him again for some clarification they're curious they're confused right as to what jesus is saying please explain yourself because what you just said out there in front of all these pharisees in front of all these scribes that was pretty radical that was different They're kind of ticked off at you, and we want to go with you. We're with you, but we want to understand a little bit better why we're with you. And so Jesus states it, again, clearly, what he was teaching to the crowd, which included the scribes and the Pharisees, right? Don't you see whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Jesus wants to be clear. Since it, it enters not his heart. Jesus says it enters his stomach. He's using the food example, but this goes for all of it. It is, right, it is what is in your heart and the attitudes and the motivations that you have that have the potential of defiling you. So we need to be careful about
0: what enters our heart. But in this example, the mouth, the esophagus, the stomach, the intestines— like, the heart is not a stop in the digestive system. It doesn't pass it through does there. It does not go through the heart, thankfully, or at least not directly. There are some doctors out there that are like, oh, there's some, you know, arterial disease that...
1: I mean, anyway. Okay, in a roundabout way, but they all break down at some point, right? They all do, yeah. Even Jesus' analogies. Break
0: down. Yeah. Okay, doctors. All right. Um, but here, here's, a, here's another quote that, uh, that we wanted to share with you because I, I think this just summarizes this whole issue, um, and, uh, and as Jesus goes through, um, most translations uh, take this, this last part of uh, verse 19 as an editorial by Mark that Jesus was declaring all foods clean, um, but this, this quote says, what does not enter the heart does not make a person unclean. The heart is the core of motivation, deliberation, and intention. How one handles food, therefore, does not make the heart clean or unclean. It has nothing to do with the internal purity,
1: what um, is inside, that matters to God. Yeah. That is what matters to God. So. And that's what we're trying to get across today. That is what's important. If, if, we, if we get to the place where we understand where Jesus was trying to, to guide his disciples, trying to guide the Pharisees, guide the, uh, the scribes, was to look at their heart. Their heart, that's what needed change, not a list of do's and don'ts and can I do more right than wrong. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, uh, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they are what defile a person. Jesus says, I'm going I'm to just break it down. This is what I'm talking about. And he lists out all these things that can defile a person, and they're all heart issues. Yeah, it's an extensive list, um, but
0: it's not comprehensive. There's many more things that we can add to it, but, but Jesus' point, again, is is that you don't become defiled and unclean by violating a tradition of man. We're defiled and unclean because of sin in our heart, which is a violation of God and his character. Right? Theft doesn't happen because of something external. Murder doesn't happen because of something external. Adultery doesn't happen because of something external. Yeah, there's forces out there. There's external forces and situations and temptations, but it's sin and defilement only when they connect with our internal desires. That's what gives birth to sin, and that is the basic problem of a fallen humanity, as we said before.
1: And again, Jesus is the only solution to that. The big question for anyone who considers themselves a Christian is this. How is my heart? So when you, when you leave here today, hopefully you'll you'll started processing that. Again, it doesn't all have to be answered right here in this room in the next 15, 20 minutes right now. But when you leave here today, think about how is my heart and follow up that question, right? What measures of holiness do I love more than I love God himself? Have we placed ourselves in a place that we, like the scribes and like the Pharisees, like to land on the things that we do well at, that somehow prove how well we are doing? My, my quiet time, right? right if, if somebody doesn't do quiet time as much as I do quiet time, or as consistently as I do quiet time, they must not love the Lord as much as I do, Right? It's got to be done in the morning. Anybody does it at any other time. I mean, we put these things on ourselves. Is it, is it praying with my eyes closed? If I see somebody praying, talking to God with their eyes open, oh, they must not love God enough to stop what they're doing. Wait, how are you seeing them pray closing? if your eyes are? Well, maybe but, I'm not praying at that point, but you know what
0: I'm saying, <laughs> I'm right? i just kidding. It, it, right, is it an association with a, a certain political party? Is it a type of music? Right? I, when I was a pastor at a, at a Baptist church in Lacey, we had a family visit us uh, for a few minutes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that happens and, at every church. We can all laugh, but that even happens here. <laughs> and
0: they left, and their comment as they were walking out, someone, someone grabbed them and just, you know, tried to figure out what was going on. Um, they never thought they'd see a Baptist church with drums. This wasn't 2,000 years ago, friends. This was about 10 years ago, right? These things still happen. And we can laugh about that, but, but they do. They happen. And so as we we're, as we were thinking about this concept, I, I, want you to, I want you to imagine this scenario. Because this is, this is how we can get there, right? All of us. And maybe, maybe we're there already and we can't see it because we're too far in it. Right? This is how it can happen. I want you to imagine a group of people who are committed to taking a ship across the ocean. Huge trip, um, a destination of freedom. Right, You can think pilgrims, maybe. It's going to be a long time, but they're, they're all committed to this. Um, they want that final destination. There's excitement in the air as the ship casts off. And that shore where they once lived less fulfilling, unfulfilling lives get smaller and smaller. Everybody has a role, everybody has a job, they're willing to pitch in, they feel like they're already experiencing some of this freedom that's promised in this in this next destination. Right, the navigator is constantly looking up uh, to get their course from the sun and the stars and things are good, things are good. There's even general ship rules, right? Just to help people get to this final destination more harmoniously, right? But as time goes on, some conflicts arise and other situations arise and it becomes necessary to make some more rules, right? To deal with all of the particulars that have come up and to try and be proactive about things that could possibly also come up. And so this list of rules gets longer and longer and longer as the journey continues. And somewhere along the way, those rules become the more important thing. Several people on the ship have risen to a level of responsibility and importance as keepers of the rules. And everybody else is a keeper of their head down, trying not to make waves. They start to feel like the confines of the ship that once felt free is feeling a little more claustrophobic. Worse yet, the navigator isn't looking up anymore for direction because the happenings on the ship are consuming. Then, out of the blue, someone in a rowboat with a few other people who look like they're having a pretty good time sidles up next to the ship and has the audacity to say that they're actually headed in the wrong direction. They've lost their way. They haven't kept their focus on their course that they set out with originally and ended up being turned around, moving far away from that instead of towards it. That's the situation 2,000 years ago, and unfortunately, it really can be the situation
1: today. Yeah, we can get caught up in the externals while missing that internal relationship with God. That heart change, that's so important, right? We're 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 pursuing and we're striving for all of these do's and don'ts and and all the external stuff. The and those things come naturally. It's or at easy, least more naturally. Right, it, Maybe but super it's easy naturally. for somebody to say do this and don't do that and you go, "Okay, I can do this and I don't need to do that." And and feel like you're you're in good with them. Right. It's easy when you, when you feel like in your classroom the teacher asks for this and not for that. And if I do those two things, I'm good to go. But there's got to be something deeper. There's got to be that connection. And here, when we pursue a relationship with God, right, the externals will become more natural for us because that's the outflowing of what's going on in our hearts. And instead of having to strive to do these lists or not do these lists, it'll become more natural for us.
0: Yeah, for some reason, the opposite does not work. right? Pursuing God through externals actually tends to harden the heart and eventually leave God totally out of the picture. Titus 3.5 says this, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. We're unclean people, right, to begin with. We're, we're unclean. We can't be saved because of works. We can only be saved and made clean through faith in Jesus Christ. And if a person places their faith in Jesus Christ, their heart is made clean at that moment of salvation. And yet we also need a constant washing through a relationship not the externals. I mean it is cold and flu season. Keep washing your hands, but but a, a figurative washing through a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit as a part of our life, continually washing us and washing our heart. Right? It's not as tidy as the Pharisees might have wanted. It's not as tidy as we might want, because it's checklists as difficult as they can are easier. Than a relationship built on faith and trust and and a constant communication in the relationship that's harder right relationships are difficult but if it is truly the heart that matters then it's the only way to pursue God